Thank you for listening to Pastor Sean's Bible Study Teaching Podcast from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. This lesson was recorded during our Wednesday night adult seminars. For more information on Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Uh, Let's turn to Romans chapter 11. We did not finish Romans chapter 11 last week, and I did that on purpose because there is what's called a doxological ending or a worshipful ending to Romans chapter 11. And then Romans chapter 12, Paul's going to shift gears and take us in a totally new direction in his letter. So let's read Romans chapter 11, 33 through 36, and I'm going to read it the way I think it's meant to be read, okay? So what is the first word in verse 33? Oh! Oh! When you say, I got some of you are like holding your ears here, when... When you say, oh, what, is that, what does that evoke in you? When, when somebody says, oh, is that excitement? Is it like, I can't wait. So Paul ends this section with, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who's known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Okay. We have just concluded a very, very difficult section in Romans. Romans 9 through 11 was very difficult. We dealt with the doctrine of predestination that God sovereignly predestined both Jews and Gentiles to salvation. We, we, we said that God was active. God does as He pleases. God is powerful. God hardens. God mercies. God chooses. God calls. God does all these things. The calling of God's irrevocable. God's Word's gone out. Now, you can respond two ways to Romans 9-11. through 11. You can say, you know what? I'm going to respond in defiance and doubt. I don't like these truths, and I'm just going to doubt them because I don't like them. Or you can respond in frustration and fear. I don't know if I really like these truths. They make me nervous. Or you can respond the way Paul responds here at the end of chapter 11 with awe-inspiring worship. Okay, so you can come to the end of Romans chapters 9 through 11 and be, I don't like these truths. Or you can come to the end of them like Paul and say, this leads me to worship. Now, Romans 9 through 11 is not, I don't think, all that Paul's talking about. I think this takes us back to the very beginning of Romans. Romans chapter 1, what does Paul say? The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. Romans chapter 1, Gentiles, you're sinners. Romans chapter 2, Jews, you're sinners. Romans chapter 3, Jews and Gentiles, you're both sinners. 
In the middle of chapter 3, God has saved us by His grace. Romans chapter 4, God has justified us by His grace. Romans chapter 5, God's justified us by His grace. Romans chapter 6, we can live the Christian life through God's power. Romans chapter 7, we're going to struggle as we live through God's power. Romans chapter 8, we have victory because the Holy Spirit set us free. He's called us. He's chosen us. He's going to give us eternal security. God's going to do all these things for us. And so Paul says, okay, here's the crescendo to the middle of the book of Romans. Oh, the depth and riches and mercy. Okay? So this is, some people think it may have been a hymn or or, or a saying from the early church. We really don't know. But notice in verse 33, Paul gives three qualities about God. What does he say? Oh, the depth, not just his riches, but the depth of his riches, wisdom. Sorry. That's okay. I'll move out of your wake up. And knowledge. Okay, so, oh, the depth of his riches. Okay, the riches of God's amazing grace in showing us mercy. God is deep in the richness of His grace. Oh, the depth of His riches. Oh, the depth of His wisdom. Wisdom refers to God's sovereign plan of salvation. God is wise in saving us. Now, do we deserve to be saved? No, we don't. But God chooses to save us. And then the depth of His riches, His knowledge, and His wisdom. This refers to the fact that God has exhaustive knowledge of all things past, present, and future. And He foreknew us before the foundation of the world. God is absolutely sovereign. His ways, we don't know how it all works out. His plan is inscrutable. Notice what it says, how unsearchable are his judgments and how I'm sorry how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways let me just ask you a question are you ever going to figure out god are you meant to ever figure out god these are some big words paul uses here what what's inscrutable it can't be scrutated <laughs> what does inscrutable mean it can't be figured out The moment you say, I've got God figured out, it's the moment that you become a liar, okay? Because nobody can fully understand God. As I was reading through Job many years back, I was struck by a verse in Job. It was Job 26, 14, and and they're talking about the universe, the creation, like all the things that God's done. And listen to what Job 26, 14 says, behold... These are but the outskirts of His way. And how small a whisper do we hear of Him, but the thunder of His power, who can understand? Okay, let me just tell you something. When you look up at the night sky, and you look past the drones, and you actually see stars, okay? (laughs) Okay, you see stars with the naked eye. That's a lot of stuff going on up there, right? Okay, get a telescope which we've taken a telescope out to Pioneer, no, out to um, the reservoir, Aiden and I did, and you could see even more out there. 
you go like this past summer, Don and I went to the Griffith Observatory in LA and we got to see the moon through that big telescope. And so Hubble telescope. So let's say that you can see the furthest you could see with a telescope. What Job says, that's just the outskirts of God. You haven't even gotten to like the very, like we don't even know what's beyond in the universe. But God does because he created it. And what Paul is saying here is we can't even begin to fathom everything about God. His ways are unsearchable. His judgments are unsearchable. But he has depths of riches and wisdom and knowledge. Okay? Now, verses 34 and 35, Paul asks two rhetorical questions. Rhetorical question, actually three rhetorical questions. First rhetorical question. Great question, right? For who has known the mind of the Lord? Anybody read God's mind? Who has known the mind of the Lord? Think about the smartest person that ever lived. I don't know who that would be. Picture somebody like Einstein or somebody. You can pick his brain, right? Like when you pick, pick up somebody's brain or you have a think tank of smart people, who has known the mind of God? Isaiah 40, 13, Paul, I think, is alluding to this. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man has shown him counsel? Okay, so do you know, the, can you read God's mind? Do you know his mind? No. Okay, second question. We like to think we can do this, but here's the second question. Who's ever given God good advice as a counselor? Who's been God's counselor? God, let me give you some advice. Here's the way I want you to do things. Now, we wouldn't say that. What was that, Terry? A lot of people. A lot of, let's just be real honest. There's times when we say, God, this is the way we want you to do it. If I were you, here's how I would do it. Let me give you some advice, God, because I don't think you quite know how to do what I want you to do. That's the height of arrogance, isn't it, to say to God, I'm going to tell you I'm, going to give you, I'm going to give you counseling advice, God. God's like, thanks, I don't need it. Okay, I don't know if you even say that to us. But, okay, and then, so, do you know the mind of God? No. Can you give God advice? No. Question number three is, who has given God a gift to repay him? Can you repay God for his? Do some people want to repay God? I'll pay you back, God, if you just get me out of this. We think we can know God, we think we can give God advice, we think we can pay Him back. Job 41.11 says this, Who has first given to me, this is God speaking, Who's first given to me that I should repay Him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. You want to repay God? He already owns everything. So Paul gets to the end here and he says, Listen, when I think about salvation, when I think about God's sovereignty and salvation, when I think about this free gift of mercy that God's given me, when I think about the fact that God has saved me when he did not have to, it makes me sit back and say, wait a minute. I can't even begin to understand God. I can't pay him back. I can't give him advice. And I can't read his mind. All I can do is worship and that's what verse 36 brings it all to a close 
What does verse 36 say? For from him, from him, these are some prepositions, from him, through him, to him are what? All things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now that's a pretty comprehensive statement about God being over everything. God is the creator of all things. God is the source of all things. God is working out all things according to the counsel of His will. God is sovereign over everything. Remember what God said to Moses out of the burning bush in Exodus 3.15? God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. The Lord. Actually, it should be 314. I don't know why I have 315 in there. Let me give you 314. The Lord said, my name is I am that I am. We talked about this Sunday morning, the, the I am God. When God says I am, He's basically saying I have no needs. Whenever somebody says, God needs something, I, I step back and say, now, wait a minute, God doesn't have any needs. God has no needs. He is the sovereign, majestic, holy God. Exodus 15, 11, Who's like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who's like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And if the rhetorical question is, who's like God? The answer is, there's, there's nobody like our great God. Psalm 102, 25-27. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment, talking about the earth. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away, but you're the same and your years have no end. Now, Acts 17, 24 and 25, I, I love... What Paul is preaching here on Mars Hill to a bunch of philosophers that worship an unknown God, and Paul's going to set them straight, but, but notice what, God, what Paul says about God. He says in Acts 17, 24 through 25, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Everything we have comes from God. For from Him and to Him and through Him are all things. Your life, your breath, your ability to make money, your talents, your time, your money, your salvation. Everything comes from God, your future. And then Ephesians 1, 11, in Him we've been in Him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works out all things according to the counsel of His will. So I know we've been in Romans since back in September. But when you think about Romans 1 through the end of chapter 11 and all that God has done for us in salvation, all that God has done for us in His mercy, all that God has done in choosing us, calling us, saving us, redeeming us, sending Jesus to die for us, all of the wonderful things God's done for us, Paul just pauses and says, oh, I'll paraphrase Paul. This is really awesome. I can't even begin to, to think about how awesome God 
truly is. I just, it's almost like Paul, I think Paul was like, as he's, being, as he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I think he's thinking about what he's written for the past 11 chapters. I think he just stops and goes, I got to stop and worship. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Have you ever been like in a worship service on a Sunday morning and you're singing and like the wor- something that the words that we're singing just kind of hit you and you have to stop singing? And you just kind of have to be like, I need to let what I just sang sink in. And then you kind of close your eyes and you're just kind of like, I need to really think about who God is and who I am. We've all had those moments, haven't we? Paul's having one of those moments here where he just pauses and says, I've got to stop and praise the Lord for all he's done. So that's how the first half of the book, well, not the first half, but the first major portion of the book of Romans ends. It ends with worship. To him be glory forever. Amen. Okay. Now, I'm gonna, this is not in your notes, but I'm going to teach you something. I've taught you this before. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail because Romans, okay, so Romans... 1 through 11 is the first major section of the book of Romans. In Romans 1 through 11, focuses primarily on what God has done for us. In other words, there's not a lot of commands. It's more who's doing most of the action or who's doing... God's the center of Romans 9 through 11. God saves. God redeems. Jesus dies. The Holy Spirit sets us free. It's all about what God has done for us in salvation. Romans 12 through 16, the second half of the book, it's going to focus on, okay, now Paul's going to shift to commands or he's going to tell us how to live out our Christianity. He's going to tell us what we're supposed to do and how we live it out. Okay? Paul never starts his writings with telling us how to live out the Christian life. He always starts his writings with what God's done for us. Because we need to understand what God's done for us first and who we are in Christ before we begin to live it out. So Paul spent 11 chapters telling us what God has done. And then we're going to go into chapter 12 and we're just going to look at the first two verses tonight. (laughs) We're going to go slow. We'll We'll go fast next week, but... I thought tonight we'd have to take a deep breath because we've been in Romans 9 through 11. It's deep water. We're just going to deal with these two passages. So let's go into Romans 12. And, and you know there's kind of a break in Paul's writing because he ends with an amen. And then he starts with, I appeal to you, therefore. Okay, whenever you see, this is an old cliche, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you've got to ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? Why is it there? What's the word therefore mean? It's a transition. It's taking, Paul's saying, I've said a bunch of stuff in Romans 1 through 11, therefore I'm about to say a bunch of new stuff. Here's what I said. In light of what I just said in Romans 1 through 11, now I'm, I'm changing subjects and we're going a different direction. Therefore, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so let's find out what the therefore is. After 11 chapters of what God has done for us, Paul shifts gears in Romans 12 and says, okay, here's how you live it out as a Christian. So the rest of the book of of Romans is how we live out our Christianity as those saved by grace. Okay? So let's read Romans 12, 1 through 
to. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul says, therefore, I appeal to you. Now, this is not necessarily a command per se. It's an appeal. It's a heartfelt appeal. Paul says, listen, I desperately want you to understand something about who you are in Christ, so I'm appealing to you. Now, what does he say? Before we get to present your bodies as a living sacrifice and we understand what that means, he says something very, very important there. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, don't ever miss what he says there, by the mercies of God. So the question is, what is the basis or what is the foundation for us to be able to obey all the commands he's about to give us the rest of the book? What's the only way we can do that? By the mercies of God. What are the mercies of God? Contextually, everything He's taught us in chapters 1 through 11. All the mercies of God. Now, if we had time, we could go back chapter by chapter and list the mercies of God. We've been saved by grace. We've been justified. We have peace with God. We have access We've been set free by His blood. We've been redeemed. We've been foreknown. We've been predestined. We've been called. We've been justified. We, we will be glorified. We've been set free by the Holy Spirit. We've been crucified with Christ. We've been raised. All those things He talked about, all the, all the things that God has done for us, Paul says, okay, in light of everything that I've just taught you, Basically, Paul's saying, in essence, what Paul is saying is that in light of all that God has done for us in making us this new creation in Christ, in light of this wonderful identity we have in Christ, in light of the rich mercies of God as the foundation and motivation, we are in turn called to present our bodies as living sacrifices in lives of worship back to God. We are to obey. So what does Jesus tell us about obedience? John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You'll obey me. But Jesus also promised that he would give us the Holy Spirit to give us the power to be able to obey. So don't ever think you can obey God in your own strength, in your own power. The only way you can obey God is by His mercies. Only by His grace in the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, in your Bibles, it may say, by the mercies of God. There's a little Greek preposition that means... This is the basis or this is the means by which 
you can do what Paul's calling you to do. So you can't present your body as a living sacrifice unless you do it through the mercy that God provides. So think about it this way. Let's, let's, just, let's give you guys a word. I'm going to give you guys a phrase. We're going to call it grace-empowered obedience. Are we called to obey Jesus? Hopefully everybody says yes. Can we do that in our own power? We can try, but we're not going to be that successful. What's grace empowered? It means the power to obey comes from God's grace. By the mercies, by the grace of God, present your body as a living sacrifice, obey. Okay? So, Paul tells us here, positively present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which had me thinking for a moment. Why does Paul say present your body? Why doesn't Paul say present your heart as a living sacrifice? Present your emotions. Present your soul. Now, there's nothing wrong with that because Jesus told us to love our Lord God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. But how do you actually live out your Christianity in your physical body? So we most effectively obey Jesus with our bodies. So let me put it this way. I've got it on your sheet there. We can say we love Him all we want. I love Jesus. We can think we love Him all we want. And we can feel that we love Him all we want. But we actually haven't demonstrated that we love Jesus until we actually obey Him in actual concrete action. It's very interesting. There's a lot of people that I've met over the years that want to be spiritual, but they don't want to obey. Or they want to have a relationship with God, but they don't want to follow Jesus. And they don't want to do things that require obedience with their bodies. For example, I have counseled people over the years where a married couple was having problems and one of the persons in the marriage was committing adultery. And that person looked me in the eye and would say, this is a God thing, that they've brought me to this other person. Because I'm not getting along with my husband and we really click over here. And I know God's brought this other person in my life and it's just a God thing. We've just connected. It's a God thing. So they've excused their adultery by saying God brought them together. Because after all, God wants me to be happy and this person makes me happy. And so if I'm happy, why wouldn't it be from God? And so in their mind, what are they thinking? This is from God. God wants me to be happy. But with their whole body and life, what are they doing? They're disobeying. They're they're committing adultery. So you can have the best of intentions with your mind and heart. But really what Paul is saying here, the the rubber meets the road when you live it out. So it has to be a life of obedience 
that does include our heart, soul, mind, and body. Okay, I'm not saying don't use your... So Jesus said what? Love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. And Paul would add, and your body. Okay, so let's just put it all together. Let's just put it this way. Worship and obey Jesus with the totality of who you are. Okay, we saw this earlier in Romans, back in chapter 6. Paul gave us a little taste of this back in Romans chapter 6. He says in Romans 6.13, Do not present your members, that's your body parts, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members, your body parts, to God as instruments for righteousness. So we're to honor God with the choices that we make in our bodies. Okay? Whole Soul, heart, mind, strength, body, everything that we are. Do you guys know that, this is not in your notes, but let me tell you that there was an ancient heresy around Paul's time. And these were Gnostics, Gnostics, I'll write this on the board. Um, There were these people who were Gnostics. Okay, and the Gnostics believed that matter was evil. So like flesh was evil, matter was evil. What really mattered was your heart. So there was a group of Gnostics called the Epicureans. And what the Epicureans said was, because matter's evil and because your body doesn't really matter, what really matters is the inside of you, your soul, go out and drink as much alcohol, do as much drugs, and have as much sex as you can with your body because it really doesn't matter. As long as you're kind of thinking good thoughts in your mind. So that was going on during Paul's day. And so here's the point of Christianity. We are to love God with our hearts. We're to love God with our minds. We're to love God with our souls. And we're also to love God with our body. You can't separate those. Everything starts in your heart, but eventually comes out in either words or deeds. And so Paul's saying, let's be real practical here. We've got to worship God with our bodies. And so Paul says it elsewhere in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23-24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. Now, The reason Paul says present your bodies, and this is a weird language, a living sacrifice. What what does that remind you of? It kind of harkens back to the Old Testament, doesn't it? So Paul takes us back to the Old Testament where there were sacrificial lambs and goats and bulls and they were put on the altar. What's a living sacrifice? Weren't those sacrifices dead? Okay. It's like a play on words here. How can you be dead? How can you be living if you're dead? Okay. How can you be? When you think of sacrifice, what do you think? Something dead on the altar. How can you be a living sacrifice? Do you remember what Jesus said? This is not in your notes either. I wish I would have spent more time thinking about this. These verses are just coming into my head. What did Jesus say? 
Actually, let's turn there real quick so you can take my, don't take my word for it, take Jesus' word for it. Turn to Luke chapter 9. And I think Jesus is saying the same thing that Paul says here. Jesus just said it first, and Paul's saying it in a different way. Paul says, present your body as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice, which means something has to die in order for it to be a sacrifice, but you're a living sacrifice. So go to Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 23. Luke 9, 23. And this is Jesus' way of saying, be a living sacrifice. Again, it's a paradox. It doesn't make quite sense, but Jesus is going to give us these words. Okay, so Luke 9, 23. He said to all, that's Jesus, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will gain it. What is a profit if a man gains the whole world and let loses or forfeits himself? To truly live, you've got to die. Doesn't make sense, does it? If you're going to live for Jesus, you've got to die to self. You've got to die to your ambitions. You've got to die to your priorities. That's what a living sacrifice is. You're living, but you're not living to your flesh. You're not living to yourself. You're living for Christ. You're, you're living that, that crucified life, that dying daily to self type of life, a sacrificial life that shows obedience in concrete ways. It needs to be lived out. It needs to be visible. Again, you can think all the good thoughts you want and have all the good intentions, but if you don't actually act upon it, you're not really fully being obedient. Jesus also said in Matthew 5.16, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Let your light shine. Be a living sacrifice. Die to self. Take up your cross daily. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, Hebrews 13, 15 through 16. Through Him, that's Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do well and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So let's just put it this way. The Christian life is a life of sacrifice. You're dying to yourself. You're taking up your cross daily. You are saying no to the world. You're living a life of repentance. And if you choose to live that way, will it cost you? Will it be a sacrifice? What will you have to sacrifice? Comfort? Convenience, maybe reputation. So don't buy it when somebody tells you, I know you guys don't buy this, but when you hear like a televangelist or somebody out there saying, just believe in Jesus and your life will be perfect. You won't have any more problems and everything will go well and people will love you and it'll be just this, this great, best, wonderful life that you've ever wanted. When Jesus said He came to give us life abundantly, 
Do you ever think that it could be an abundance of sacrifice? <laughs> now, obviously, there's joy in that. Obviously, there's His grace, His strength. But Paul is not pulling any punches here. He's saying, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Jesus would say it, die to self. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, interestingly, what does Paul say here? He says, this is holy and acceptable, God, which is your spiritual worship. Does anybody have a different translation than spiritual, I think? Doesn't the King James say reasonable or fitting? This is your reasonable service? Reasonable? Yeah, yeah really the, the word there in the original language is probably better to say reasonable or fitting. And so we have to ask the question, okay, why is... Offering our bodies as a spiritual act of worship fitting. Why is it re reasonable? Basic answer is because it's an appropriate response. It's appropriate response of what Christ has done for us. In other words, think about it this way. When you think about, I know it's been like back in September when we started Romans, but cumulatively thinking here. Everything that God has done for us in Christ that Paul has talked about in Romans, saved us by grace, justified us by grace, called us, saved us, predestined us, eternal security, all the things that God's given us, when you stop and think about that, and what did Paul just say? Oh, the depths and riches of His grace. It just makes sense to want to obey Jesus not to earn that salvation, but you realize He's already accepted you. He's already forgiven you. He's already made you a new creation in Christ. It's not, I have to. It's by God's grace I get to. It's a joy-filled, fitting response to what God has done. So when it comes to a lifestyle of sacrifice, we don't look at that and say, oh man, this, this stinks. We'll look at it and say, why else would I not want to give my life as a living sacrifice compared to all the things that Jesus has given me? It just makes sense. It's, it's my spiritual act of worship. It's fitting. It's reasonable. It's the only proper response. When you've been overwhelmed by God's grace in your life, you want to live a life of thankfulness back to Him. Not to earn His favor, not to get saved, but out of joy of what He's done for you. And so we need to stop thinking about, man, I have to live the Christian life and I have to do this. To more of, because God's been so awesome, I get to worship Him. And it's a joy. Okay? So Paul first here focuses on your bodies. Present your bodies. We live our Christian life out in our bodies. But then, secondly, Paul shifts not just to your body, but to your mind. And remember what I said earlier? You cannot separate the, the, the soul, spirit, mind. However you think about the human person, we are a total person. Whole soul, heart, mind, body, everything together. And here's the point. And this is where most of the Christian life, if you get this, it will help you. And you know this intuitively. You often act out in behaviors as a result of the way you think. What's on your mind 
i.e. what's in your heart, almost always comes out in words or actions. What your minds dwell on will often dictate how you respond and act. So Paul's going to give here two commands in verse 2. The first one is a negative, something we're not supposed to do. And the second one's a positive thing we're supposed to do. Okay, so a negative command, don't do this. A positive command, do this. So let's first of all look at the negative, something we're not supposed to do. So the first thing Paul tells us in verse 2 not to do is he commands us to not be conformed to this age. Do not, and really it's in the, it's in a present tense in the original language, so you could probably translate it, do not keep on being conformed to this world. It's not like a one-time thing. It's, and the reason why is because you live in the world. It's always going to be there. Now, the ESV translates that world, and I have a footnote in my ESV. I don't know if you have it, but it actually gives the, the actual probably better Greek word, but sometimes it's kind of confusing to translate, age. The, the word is really age. This present evil age over which Satan holds sway and the power of sin is paramount. The world, the age, it's, it's like the, the word for, for world is cosmos. There's a different Greek word for age. It's, it basically means around the same thing. But it's, it's the world system that we live in that's opposed to God. This present age. Paul tells us in our salvation in Galatians 1, 3-4, Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. This present evil age. So Paul says, Do not be conformed to this present evil age, this world. John would say it this way in 1 John 2, 15-17. It's John's way of saying it. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him for all that's in the world. Okay, what's in the world that we're not supposed to love? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. That's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So do not be conformed to this world. Now, let's just stop and let's ask a question. What does the word conformed mean? Anybody ever make a jello mold or a bunt cake? Or even like or even like um, sugar cookies? What do you have? You have a mold. And what do you do? You, you stamp it down or you make it, it comes out as the, the mold. Okay. An older translation, I think it's the Living Bible, which I wouldn't recommend. It's a paraphrase, but I, I think it says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't look like the world. Don't breathe, don't take in the things of the world. Don't love the world. Okay, that's, that's a hard thing. Because where do we live? In the world. What do you see every day? There's some things you see by just incidentally living in the world, and there's some things you choose to see. You know what I'm saying? 
If it's your workplace, it's worldly. Sometimes you can't escape it because it's a worldly workplace. But when you go home, you can choose how you want to engage the world by what you watch, what you read, what you surf, what you put into your, to your life. So we are swimming in an age that's hostile to God. And with the proliferation of media, social media, and access, we need to... I'm, I'm going to start preaching here, but that's okay because I'm your pastor and I'm allowed to <laughs> preach and who's going to stop me? But what I'm saying is <laughs> we need to really be praying for the younger generation because at no time in history have they had this much access to the world at their fingertips. Let me just give you an example. Okay? When I was growing up, if you wanted to see pornography, you had to go to the 7-Eleven and have the nerve to ask the guy that's there at the counter to sell you one as an eighth grader, which he's probably like, no, not. Or your friend would have the Playboy channel at his house. Okay, so it was very hard for a 13-year-old boy to get access to pornography. Today, on a phone, with one click, you can open up a world of pornography that was never anything in the wildest dreams that this 13-year-old boy would have ever been exposed to. I read something the other day, a statistic. Do you know at what age, the average age, most children are exposed to hardcore pornography? It's age 8. Hardcore pornography. Okay. So... The world literally is at their fingertips. So parents, if you don't have things in place to protect your children, don't assume that they're just innocent kids. We've seen kids in this church be exposed. I've seen homeschool kids in this church exposed to pornography over at somebody's house at a sleepover, not in a public school at an early age. So it's not the public school. It's the heart. And your kids' hearts need to be protected. And one of the ways you protect them from technology is use technology to protect. Whether that's a net nanny or whether that's some type of circle, which is an app, there's, there's a bunch of different apps you can get. And we'll tell you, we, we had this on Aiden's phone. I mean, he's 22 now, so. But we had net nanny on his computer, we had net nanny on his iPad, and we had net nanny on his phone. And it blocked. And I could go in and get reports on what was happening. And so that doesn't mean he's not going kids aren't going to look at stuff, but you have to do deal. So my point is this. Let's just not talk about kids here, because I know some of you do. We live in a present evil age. Does the devil want us to be like Jesus? No. Do the, does the world want you to be like Jesus? Everything in this world screams at you every day, be like the world. And if you become more and more like the world, you're conformed to the world. You're shaped like the world. You look like the world. And Paul's saying, if you're going to present your life as a, as a living sacrifice, you cannot be conformed. Now, now notice the, 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 the nuance Paul does say here. Can you avoid being in the world? 
Paul doesn't say don't be in the world because if you, you, nobody's going to live like a monk. You can be in the world, as Jesus says, but not of the world. You can live in the world but not be conformed to the world. That's a very fine line. What does it look like to be living in this world but not being conformed to it? That's probably a series of sermons I need to preach one day because that's a, that's a tough question. Okay, so how do you not be conformed to this age? First command, don't be conformed to this age. Okay, second command, notice what Paul says there, but in contrast, let me give you the positive thing you're to do to help you not be conformed to this world. Second thing, positively, Paul says, keep on continually being transformed by the renewal of your minds. Be transformed. Keep on continually being transformed. Okay, this process of transformation is continual and progressive. Okay, you've seen the Transformer movies, right? Bumblebee and... How do they transform? Like they turn into the trans... I don't know if they make that noise, but they... It's real quick, right? Like they're going down the road and they transform. Wouldn't it be great if your, like, Christian life just happened that way? You, you're a transformer. Or, I've said this before, you go to bed at night and by osmosis you wake up and you got the Bible memorized and you're like, it happens just like that. Let me just say it this way. The life of having your mind transformed is a long, slow, gradual process. Because every day, what is your mind filled with? The things of the world. And every day, you got to have your mind transformed. So the Holy Spirit is the one. Notice it says, be transformed. You don't transform yourself. You are being transformed by the Holy Spirit who is renewing your mind. So question, what does it mean to renew your mind? How do you renew your mind? Well, I'm not going to make it rocket science and it's not that difficult. I would say it very simply. If you're not spending time reading your Bible and spending time in prayer and spending time in church under the preaching of the Word and spending time in fellowship, you're not renewing your mind. It's just that easy. There's no magic bullet. The more you saturate yourself in the Scriptures and fill your mind with Scriptures and, and pray to the Lord and, and surround yourself with the things of Christ, the more your mind is going to be transformed. So you have a responsibility in this process. We have to put ourselves in positions to have our minds renewed. The Holy Spirit does the transforming work, but we've got to put the effort in to actually do it. Is the Holy Spirit going to read your Bible for you? Is He going to pray for you? Is he going to give you the power to do it? Yes, but you've got to, you've got to actually say, okay, tonight or in the morning, I'm going to spend X amount of time reading my Bible and praying. I've got to make that choice. And Holy Spirit, I need help to do it. Because how many of you here have prayed, have fallen asleep as you're praying? Don't raise your hand. As Vodi Bakum says, if you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> okay. So we need to have our minds renewed. Philippians 4, 8 is a good place to start. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, there's eight things here. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, what does he say? Think about these things. Meditate on these things. Our minds are transformed when we spend time meditating, thinking, filling our minds with the things of the Lord. And what does that lead to? That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. How do you know what the will of God is unless you spend time renewing your mind in God's Word so you know what the will of God is? So there's a process here. You see the process Paul's saying? Don't conform yourself to the world. Instead, put yourself in positions to undergo this ongoing process of having your minds renewed. This comes through reading the, the Scriptures. When you read and study the Scriptures, you come to know by experience the will of God. You read His will and His Word, and you, and you obey His will, and then your entire lives reorient around the supremacy of Christ, and then, do you see what happens? It's kind of like a cycle. You present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So, let's just draw it. I'm going to draw it. And this may be the first time I've ever drawn this, so if it comes out weird, blame me in my weird mind. So, okay. I would say it starts in your mind. Okay, so as your mind's being renewed, you begin to understand the will of God. And as you begin to understand the will of God, then you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then it's a never-ending thing. What's trying to get in here? The world. The world's going to try to get in here. And so it's not a one and done. You're, you're having your mind transformed by the Word of God, by prayer, and then you're understanding His will. And as you understand His will, you're presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, but it's not done right there because what's going to happen? So it's like an ongoing process of having your mind renewed, understanding God's will, presenting your body as a living sacrifice. And who's giving you the power to do? So, like, if there's any fruit, like, who's the, who's the power source that's, that's, who's the engine that's supplying all this? The Holy Spirit. What did Paul say earlier? It's by the mercies of God. So this is Holy Spirit-empowered obedience. You have a responsibility to fill your mind. You have a responsibility to know God's will. You have a responsibility to present your bodies as a living sacrifice in this ongoing type of process. And then when you go through that process all the time, what does Paul say? you come to realize through experience that God's ways and His will are good, acceptable, and perfect. And you want to obey Jesus out of a deep love for what He's done for you in this new identity.
So you live a life of sacrifice. Paul says in Ephesians 4.1, Therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk or live a lifestyle in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. Live in a manner worthy of the calling you received. In other words, be who you are. Live like who you are. Philippians 1.27 Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for faith of the gospel. Let your manner of life, let your lifestyle, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's all about the lifestyle of the Christian being transformed. Okay, so we've seen a Greek word here. Transformers, robots in disguise. Autobots fight the evil forces of the Decepticons. Okay, so some of you are like, oh, I don't know what he's talking about. Transform. Transform. It comes from this Greek word, morphe, to morph. And so when you see this Greek word morph, there's a lot of different ways it's used. I'm going to take us on a journey to show you how the Bible uses this word, like transformed, conformed. So when you see the word conformed, transformed, Form, it comes from the Greek word morphe, in some type. Okay, so Second Corinthians three seventeen through eighteen is a very important passage of scripture. Second Corinthians three seventeen through eighteen, and I've taught this before, but I'm going to teach it again because I think we need to hear it over and over again. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, that's all of us with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, there's that word, into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is spirit. Okay, here's the point of this passage. and Here's, here's, here's a statement I want you to remember. If you don't remember anything at all tonight, remember this. The more you look at Jesus, the more you look like Jesus. The more you look at Jesus, the more you begin to look like Jesus. So let's ask the question, do you want to look like Jesus? Yes. Okay, so how does that happen? Okay, Paul said, renew your mind. Don't be conformed to this world. Here Paul says, how do you look like Jesus? You behold the glory of the Lord. You behold the glory of the Lord. Now, the ESV uses the word behold there. We don't, we, don't, we don't use the word behold a lot, but it, it's probably a really good translation. What, it, what this really means in the original language is you're looking at yourself in a mirror. And it's in a present tense that you're always looking at Jesus. Do you guys remember who Narcissus was? Have you ever heard of a narcissist? He's narcissistic. Do you know who Narcissus was? In Greek mythology, Narcissus looked at himself all day in a reflecting pool, enamored by what he saw. Looking at himself all day. When you look at yourself in a mirror, what do you do? 
I need to, I need to get away from this. This is not a good sight, <laughs> especially when you just woke up, like I've been hit by a Mack truck. When somebody looks in a mirror at them, like, what's the image of mirror, mirror on the wall? Who's the fair? When, when you, the image of a mirror looking at it all the time, what does that tell you? Who are you most preoccupied with? Okay, remember what, I don't know if you ever heard John Piper's famous service. He said there's going to be no mirrors in heaven. You're not going to be looking at yourself. You're going to be looking at Jesus. Okay, so we like to look at ourselves in a mirror. We behold ourselves in a mirror. Look at ourselves. Am I all good to go? You know, we spend a lot of time in front of mirrors. Paul says here, like you look at yourself in a mirror, who are you looking at? Are you looking at yourself or who are you looking at? You're looking at Jesus. You're spending time looking at Jesus. Now, does that mean we look up at him and say, where's Jesus? Is he, I see him walking around. No. It means that we behold him. We, we stare into Jesus. We, we look at Jesus. We look intently at him like we're looking into a mirror by reading the scriptures. We behold Him by praying to Him, coming each Sunday to hear the gospel preached to us. We also behold Him when we take, even when we take the Lord's Supper. So, Paul in Romans says, have your mind renewed. Paul in 2 Corinthians says, look at Jesus. What's the end product in both verses? You are being transformed. Here it says, you are being transformed transformed the corinthians passage the word is metamorpho oh meta we get the word metamorphosis it means to change to be like changing or adding or growing the word means you are growing to look more like jesus and again it's a passive verb which means you're not the one doing the changing i don't know if that's in your notes is it it's not in your notes is it oh there it is the verbs in the passive voice which means that someone else is actually transforming us and we know who that is what does the verse say where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom the holy spirit's the one that's transforming us to look more like jesus so the more you look at jesus the more you will begin to look like Jesus. So let me just ask you a question. If you want to look like Jesus, what do you got to spend time doing? Looking at Him. And what does that mean? Reading your Word. Renewing your mind. Praying to Him. Being in church around God's people. Being in fellowship. And the more you do that, the more you are going to look. Because what does it say? We... From one glory to another. Go back to that verse. I know we're not looking at it in the Bible, but on your sheet, go back to what it says there. It says, we're being transformed into the same image. The same image of who? Jesus. From one degree of glory to another. Now, from one degree of glory to another means that's progressive. Some people are going to do it at different rates than others. But here's the point. If you don't take the time to do it, you're probably not going to have a higher degree of looking like Jesus. Now, here's the promise. The promise from the Bible is we will one day look like Jesus in our glorified bodies. That's a promise. But right now in this process of growing to be like Him, it requires us to live a life of daily renewal. Okay? 
So Hebrews 12, 2, looking at Jesus or keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that's set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Okay. So we've got Romans 12 that says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We've got 2 Corinthians that says, the more you look at Jesus, the more you're being transformed, conformed to Him. Okay, let's go to Galatians 4.19. Paul says, My little children, for whom I am in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That's a weird expression. Christ is formed in you. This is the only place this particular phrase is used in the New Testament. Elsewhere, what we've seen, Paul talks about us being conformed or transformed, but here it's just formed. And again, the Greek word here is morpho. It's a very interesting term in the original language. It can refer to a medical term for the growth of an embryo into a fetus in the mother's womb until the baby is born. So what's Paul saying here? Here's what Paul's saying to his church in Galatia. Paul says, I, as your pastor, will not be satisfied until Christ so dominates your life that you are progressively growing to be more and more like Jesus to where it's like a baby being gestating in the womb for that nine-month period until you give birth, that, that, you, that you are, are experiencing the fullness of who you are in Christ. So this, this process, again, it's a process of having Christ formed in us. It's called different things. It's called progressive sanctification, spiritual renewal, growing to be more like Christ, maturing in Christ. What Paul's saying is my desire for you is that Christ would be formed in you so much so that your whole life would be dominated by Jesus, that you'd be growing to look more like Jesus, you'd be acting more like Jesus, that you'd be maturing, okay? So Christ formed in you. So let's look at these different words. So Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 2 Corinthians 3, we are undergoing a transformation, being conformed from one degree of glory to another. Galatians 4, until Christ is formed in you. Okay, let's go to another place. Let's go to Ephesians 4, 20-23. This is not the way you learn Christ, assuming you have heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupted through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Here he talks about being renewed in the spirit of your minds. Putting off the old stuff, putting on the new stuff, being renewed in your mind. So being like Jesus, being conformed to Jesus, growing to be like Jesus, maturing to look like Jesus, involves putting on a renewed self that walks in holiness. When you think of the word renew, what do you think of? 
If you need to be renewed, what does that mean? Something's wearing down, right? <laughs> Something's getting old. What's the opposite of old? New. Okay. So if you're getting stagnant, if you're not progressing in your growth, if you're giving in to sin patterns, if you're being conformed by the world, what needs to happen to you? You need to be renewed. This is not talking about your initial salvation. This is talking about the ongoing renewal process. I think we need to be renewed every day. Because what, what happens when you wake up? What are you facing every day? What are the three, the three enemies? The unholy trinity, the world, the flesh, and the devil are coming at you every day. And you're already beat down before you walk out the door. So you need to be renewed in your mind. So you see how Paul's putting all this stuff together? Okay, have your mind renewed. Look at Jesus to look more like Him. Separate yourself from the things of this world. Put off those old things. Be renewed. And again, the Holy Spirit is the one that renews you. All right. Peter, I'll just give you a Peter passage here. In 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, Peter says, As obedient children, do not be what? Conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But he who has called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Do not be conformed to what? Your former life. What's the Okay, we've talked about this before. When you become a Christian, does your old life die? Yes, Romans 6 talked about that. You are dead to your old life. You've been raised to new life. Just because you're dead to your old life, does that mean that you don't have those thought patterns that want to go back to that old life? Yeah, you're going to want to go back to that. that. And Paul says, don't, or Peter here says, don't be conformed to those former passions. Instead, be holy. Because those former passions... The world, the flesh and the devil are going to want to what? They're going to want to pull you in. They're going to squeeze you in. They're going to want to make you look like them as opposed to look like Jesus. So it's really a battle of who do you want to look like? Do you want to look like Jesus or do you want to look like this world? That's a rhetorical question, but thanks for asking, answering it. I hope he said Jesus. Jesus. All right. Let's look at one other place. Colossians 3.10 where that word morph or morpho or transformed, or renewed. It's all the same kind of Greek, Greek word. Colossians 3.10. You've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Okay, the, the, other, the Ephesians one was talking about being renewed in holiness. Here it's talking about being renewed in knowledge, which again talks about that, that um, renewal of our mind. Being like Jesus means being renewed in your knowledge of God. Now, Knowledge. This knowledge of God that we need to be renewed in is more than just like intellectual facts and historical trivia. Okay. And sometimes it's good for kids to learn this because they need, excuse me, they need to learn those Bible stories and they need to learn their scriptures and they need to memorize. But we're talking about as you're transformed by the renewing of your minds through reading the Word, spending time in prayer, you grow in experiential knowledge of Jesus. 
you know him better. Let me just ask you a question. Do, and don't answer this out loud. Okay, this is one don't answer out loud. Do you, and this is a hard question that you really have to ask yourself. Do you know Jesus better today than you knew him yesterday? And let me ask you another question. This is a John Owen question. He's a Puritan. He wrote a very impactful book. Do you know Jesus so much here on earth that when you get to heaven, he's not a stranger? That's a weird thought to think about. Now, he's not going to be a stranger because he's going to be your Savior. But the point is, I've spent my whole life thinking about the world. And when I get to heaven and see Jesus, I'm like, who's that guy? What would be the opposite? I've spent so much time with Jesus here on earth that when I get to heaven, it's almost like we, we just picked up the conversation where we left off because I've cultivated that relationship my whole life. That's the knowledge here Paul's talking about of being renewed in. So one thing I want to stress, because this may scare you, you're like, man, this sounds scary. I want to stress this over and over again. It's not instantaneous. Every verb that's used here is talking about a process. It involves growth, ups, downs, degrees of maturity, but yet we have this hope from Paul. Paul gives us hope. In 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul says, So we do not lose heart. Why? Our outer self is wasting away. Some of us more so than others, maybe. I don't know. Our outer self is wasting away. But our inner self is being renewed day by day. So what's Paul saying? Life is hard. We get old. We get frail. We are the product of our, of our world environment. Our, our bones get tired. We may have sickness. Our, our outer self, our bodies are wasting away. But our inner self, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is being renewed. How, how often? What's he say there? Day by day. So don't lose heart. You may not, ex you may not think you're growing. Here's the, here's the encouragement. Some of you may think, yeah, I don't really think I'm growing. Don't underestimate what the Holy Spirit does that you can't see. Because even those times when you don't take responsibility to put yourselves in positions of growth... The Holy Spirit's still growing you day by day. It may just be little incremental. Whereas if you put yourself in positions to grow, it may be further down the road. Okay, I've drawn this many times, but let's just put it visually here. So, this is a graph. This is your salvation. This is when you were justified. This is when you got saved. This is heaven. Whether... Whenever you get to heaven, whether you die and get there or whether Jesus comes back. So is the road to heaven in your growth with Jesus, is it, is it a straight line that looks like that? You wish. What does it look like? Ups and downs and way downs and ups. and so. But if you were to plot this over the trajectory of your life, it would be slow incremental growth. Sometimes you have great periods of growth. Other times you have periods of disobedience and then you get back and maybe God, maybe you're way down at a low point. God has to discipline you and get your attention to pop you back and he grants you repentance and then you're, but the opposite, if like there's no growth at all, you may have to question whether that person's actually truly saved in the first place. 
but it's never an easy path. That's why John Bunyan wrote the book, The Pilgrim's Progress. What does progress mean? Slow. Painful. Joyful. Exhilarating. Frustrating. All those emotions. But it's worth it because what are you becoming? More like Jesus. So that's what I'm going to end tonight because that's all the material I have left. <laughs> and so um, what I want to do is see if you guys have any questions tonight about Christian growth, this passage of Scripture, uh, growth in Christ. Hopefully this was a little bit more encouraging than Romans 11, talking about the Jews and the Gentiles and all those. Yeah, I told you it was going to get a lot better than it was the last three weeks. Any questions? You guys just want to get out early, don't you? All right. Well, let's pray, and then next week we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. That's where Paul, Paul starts off the talk. It's interesting. I'll just give you a preview for next week. Paul says, okay, live your, live your lives in obedience to Jesus, and the first thing he launches off is spiritual gifts. You want to get real practical on how you live it out? Okay, use your gifts in the life of the church to serve. It's an interesting place for Paul to start, but that's what he does. So you can read ahead. I'm not lying to you. You can just read, read, read ahead and see that's what Paul does. All right, let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for this word that we have tonight about growth. And in light of all of your mercies, of your great salvation, we want to be a people that walk in holiness. We want to be a people that aren't conformed to this world, a people who are transformed by our minds. We want to look more at you, Jesus, so we can look more like you. We want to be renewed. And so, Holy Spirit, give us the strength to do that. I know it's hard. We live in a very chaotic, hostile world with a lot of distractions. Easier said than done. So more than ever, we need grace and we need each other, Lord. This is never meant to be done in a vacuum by ourselves. We need the church family. We need each other to encourage in this, this walk together. So Lord, help us to, to be the people you've called us to be. And we give you all the praise and glory for that. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>